0: I don't know about you, but I, I have this this idea in my mind that if you're a follower of Christ, life ought to be easier and simpler than if you're not a follower of Christ. Do you ever have that idea? You know, that they, there's a sense that we commit ourselves to Christ, we maybe even sacrifice something of ourselves for Christ, and and that the... The reward of that is, is that life is it's just a little easier, a little simpler, a little less conflicted. And, and and we go through life just not facing as much as people who don't follow Christ. Now, there may be exceptions to that, but my experience has been that that's not really the case. My experience has been that actually... the The more you follow Christ, maybe the more opposition you face. It maybe reminded me of a story I read a long time ago about St. Teresa of Avila, 16th century Spanish mystic who... ...was uh, one day on a journey for what Christ had called her to do... ...to go to to speak to some people. And in the midst of that journey, she came to a stream that she had to cross... ...and it was swollen. And it was a a very difficult journey. And she, she got into it. She's wading through the stream and the water's rushing. And it just about knocks her over a few times and washes her downstream. And finally she makes her way and gets to the other side and climbs up on the bank. And she's soaked and she's exhausted... And she goes on her journey, and that night she has a dream and has a vision of a conversation with God. And in this vision, she says, Lord, I don't understand why when I was on this journey to do something for you that you would called me to do, why you would why you'd make me go through such a difficult experience as, as trying to get through that swollen stream. Why, why would you put me through that And in her vision, she heard God say to her, Well, Teresa, that's how I treat all my friends. And she said to him, Well, Lord, it's no wonder you have so few of them. (laughs) And there is something about that that really is true about life. That I've come to the conclusion that the more more we we follow Christ and, and the more we engage our lives with Christ... The opposition doesn't decrease, it increases. And this isn't just about circumstances of life that, you know, difficult things that we may encounter. I think a lot of it has to do with the work of the evil one to fight us and to tempt us and to lead us away from God. We sometimes equate people who struggle with temptation as weak Christians. But the reality is the struggle with temptation... ...is going to continue to grow and increase and, and, and magnify as we commit ourselves more and more to follow Christ. Because the evil one doesn't want us to commit ourselves more and more to follow Christ. And he's trying to keep us from doing that. And when we come to this passage in Luke 22 and, and we find Jesus in the upper room with his disciples... They've had this meal, they, they, they've talked about what is happening there. And, and Jesus has, has shared the supper with them. He's, he's instituted what we call the, the Lord's Supper. They have this conversation about which one of them could possibly betray him. That then evolves into which one of them is the greatest in the kingdom. And this argument breaks out and Jesus stops them. And he says, look guys, Satan wants you. And he wants to do everything possible To cut you off from me. I don't know exactly, and anything I could read didn't seem to have a good explanation of what it means that he says Satan wants to sift you like wheat. But I have in my mind this image of separating the wheat and the chaff, and this idea that Satan wants to separate the disciples from Jesus, to cause them to go one way when Jesus is going the other way. Of course, Satan wants to sift them. He wants to take them down because they're going to be the leaders of the church. They're going to be the the leaders of, 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 of God's movement on earth and Satan wants to prevent that. And the opposition is not going to get less. It's going to become more severe. We'll talk about this more next week, but when Jesus talks about the swords and taking a sword and taking a bag, I think part of what he's saying is you need to understand that the times are changing. And when you go out as my followers, it's going to be tough. And there's going to be opposition. And it's going to be difficult a lot more than anything you've ever faced. And as you move on with me in your life, it's not going to get easier. It's going to get harder. One of the Old preachers talked about generations ago talked about how the only time we don 't sense opposition is if we 're walking in the same direction as the evil one you know, if you're out, if you 're out running and're and, and it 's a windy day when you 're running into the wind, boy, you can really feel it when you 're running with the wind you hardly notice it and the reason we are noticing the temptation getting stronger is because we're running against the wind. Of all the people that we find in Scripture that that's, that go through more suffering and, and are tempted more severely than Jesus, I don't think there's anyone but Job. And is Job brought face-to-face with this severe temptation because he's weak? No. God says he's blameless he's the most godly man on earth and that's the very point as we move forward with Christ it ought not to surprise us that the evil one is fighting against us it ought to worry us when we don't sense any temptation it's not a sign of weakness it's actually a sign that we are moving in the right direction when the evil one is trying to prevent us from moving forward in that direction I think that the evil one tempts us in, in a variety of ways. But for, for Christians, as we move forward with Christ, one of, the, one of the greatest temptations is that he uses our success and the strength that we're gaining against us. Our strength becomes our weakness. John Wesley had mixed feelings about, people, about, his, the, the, about the Methodists um, witnessing to their experiences with God. On the one hand, he, he wanted them to talk about it because it was an encouragement to other people. And it, and it gave glory to God. But he was hesitant for people to say it because he knew the moment people start talking about, look what God's doing in my life, it so easily turned to look at what I'm doing in my life. Look at me. Instead of look at God. And the evil one is so subtle. He will take our successes and turn them against us. Will Williman, in one of his books, tells about teaching a Sunday school class. They're talking about temptation, and he asked the group, what kinds of ways are, are you all tempted? And one guy said, I'll tell you, temptation for me is when your boss comes to your office, as mine did this week, and says, you are doing a phenomenal job. You are the best salesman in our company. You, you are amazing. In fact... We are so impressed with you that we're going to give you a bigger sales territory. We're going to give you more responsibility. This is awesome. He said, I looked at my boss and said, I don't want a bigger sales territory. I don't want more responsibility. I'm already away from my family four nights a week as it is. And he said to me, well, the reason you do this is for your family. Because you'll earn more money, and you you know you and you need the money to support your family. I know your children are young now, and they don't take a lot of money, but as they get older, you're going to need more and more and more. And how are you going to do that unless you take this position, take this promotion? It's for the good of your family. I said that's temptation. And all the time, we are subtly being tempted to turn our successes into failures, to turn our strengths into weakness. And the evil one who typically isn't going to to get us with something evil will get us by turning something good and twisting it. And we become so successful spiritually that it's so easy to believe this is about us and what we're accomplishing. That we do good because we are so strong. That, that we can accomplish great things for the kingdom without God and relying on God. That while the plan of God is awesome, if we could just tweak it a little bit, it would be even better. And he subtly turns good into evil and strength into weakness. We are never more susceptible to the temptations of the evil one than when we overestimate our strength. Jesus says to Peter, watch out. And Peter says, are you kidding me? Lord, I'll go to, the, I'll go to prison. I'll go to death for you. I am, I am so spiritual. Never going to get to me. I can almost picture Jesus shaking his head Peter you just don't get it to you we sometimes say when I'm weak I'm strong the opposite is also true often when we're strong we're weak it's so easy to forget that anything good in our lives is not about us it's about him And the evil one is subtly trying to turn us away from relying on God and putting all the the emphasis on God and putting it on ourselves. It's a temptation for Peter. It's a temptation for all the disciples. It's a temptation for us. And I'm convinced it's a temptation for Jesus. And it intrigues me that Jesus is so clear with the disciples. The most effective defense against temptation like this, against any temptation, is honest, earnest prayer. Five times in this passage, Jesus talks about prayer. Beginning in verse 39... Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew a stone's throw beyond them. He knelt down and he prayed. Being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. When he rose from prayer, went back to the disciples, he found them asleep. Why are you sleeping? Get up and pray so you'll not fall into temptation. He keeps coming back to prayer. Because prayer is about Tapping into the presence of God. It is, the, it is the primary means of building relationship with God. Prayer in all of its forms is focusing our attention on God. When we offer praise, we're declaring God is the ultimate of the universe. When we offer thanksgiving, we're declaring everything we have is from God. When we intercede for ourselves and other people, we're declaring God is the only one that can do anything about this. When we confess our sins, we're declaring God alone can change what's going on within me. All of prayer is about God. Listening is about God. Speaking is about God. Meditating is about God. Every form of prayer is about focusing our attention on God. Pouring out our hearts to God. Listening to God. It is all about God. And that's why prayer is so essential. Why it is the primary defense to temptation. Because it's focusing our attention away from us onto God. And there is no other way to defeat temptation. Because none of us are strong enough to handle the enemy. Only God in us. And the only way we can, we can encounter and experience the presence of God in us is by focusing our attention on God through prayer. We tend to think that the, that the battle of the cross is won when Jesus finally goes to the cross. But I think the writers of the gospel are clear that the battle for the cross is won as Jesus prays in the garden. The cross is simply the result Of Jesus' prayer. As you and I are called to take up our cross and follow him. The battle will not take place in the moment when we face the agony of the cross. It will be as we have prepared ourselves for that moment. When we come face to face with our cross. Jesus encourages the disciples to pray that they not be led into temptation. Temptation takes us back to his, the petition in the Lord's Prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And it seems like an odd thing for, for us to pray, that to have to ask God not to lead us into temptation. And there are lots of explanations for that. But I like what Dallas Willard says when he talks about that it, it means that we just simply can't stand up to much pressure. It's a vote of no confidence in our own abilities. That if anything is going to happen to get us out of temptation, God's going to have to do it because we can't. And it's at the heart of that petition and the heart of what Jesus is trying to help us understand here. But disciples don't get it. Instead of praying, they sleep. Now, we all need to sleep. Sleep's important. We, we have been created for sleep and we need to sleep. The, diff, the idea, though, is understanding when do you sleep and when do you pray. And that's the hard thing maybe think back to Luke chapter 8 when Jesus' and his disciples are, are in the, the boat on the, on the Sea of Galilee and a storm comes up and it's just about to, to swamp over them and the disciples are in a panic and, and Jesus is praying and Jesus is sleeping, I'm sorry and you compare these two events and you find that in the storm the disciples panic and Jesus sleeps and in the garden Jesus prays and the disciples sleep somehow they haven't quite gotten it yet But they eventually do get it. As we read through the book of Acts and we read through the the various letters of the New Testament and we know about church history, they do get it. They understand that there's a time to sleep and there's a time to pray. And I think what he's trying to help us understand is that we need sleep for our physical bodies, but we have to pray for our spirits to be ready for whatever comes against us. we do that because we have decided like Jesus to take prayer seriously we have a tendency to sort of dabble at praying we we know it's important we know we should pray we just don't do it that often we don't do it that intensely we don't do it that earnestly I read a story recently of a guy who was with his pastor and he got irritated about something and he swore and uh, I, I know how the pastor felt in that moment. And, and I've been in those scenarios where people are embarrassed because they said something or did something that they didn't want their pastor to know that they would ever do. You know, I, don't, I don't even like telling people when I'm on a plane what I do because it just totally changes the whole conversation. People are no longer themselves. But he swore. There was this awkward silence. And then he said to the pastor, you know what? I swear a little. You pray a little. Neither one of us really means that much by either of them. That's pretty telling, you know? But if we're honest, if we're honest, would that describe us? That we pray a little, but we really aren't all that serious about it. We say it's important, but if someone followed us around with a hidden camera, would they believe it? The amount of time that we give to praying, the energy we give to praying, what we, what we what we're developing in our lives as people who believe that prayer is that important. I think part of the issue is that we don't really believe that prayer is the heart language of the kingdom. But When we look at the stories of Jesus and we see him again and again and again being a person of prayer. We understand, if we read through the epistles, we understand that prayer is the heart language of the kingdom it's the language that that people who are part of the kingdom of God speak my parents went to the Philippines in the mid 80's they were trying to decide whether they needed to learn Tagalog or not they were going to be working in Manila among primarily upper class people and you know most of the people spoke English and you know they're in their mid to late 40's and learning a new language and it seems kind of overwhelming and and they decided that maybe they wouldn't worry with learning Tagalog. They could be just fine with English. But after a couple of months of being there, they started language school. And they said it's because when they were around people, everyone spoke English. But when, when people were really excited, they broke out into Tagalog. Or when they were really upset, Tagalog is what came out. Or, or when they really wanted to express what was going on in their hearts, Tagalog is what came out. And they realized if they were ever going to really understand the heart of the people, they were going to have to learn, at least have a working knowledge of Tagalog. Because that was their heart language. And for you and me, that prayer is the heart language of the kingdom. I just wonder if it's our heart language. If it becomes our default mechanism. So that when life is good, our default is to pray. And when life is hard, our default is to pray. When we're up against it, our default is to pray. When things are going along pretty well, our default is to pray. It becomes natural to us so much so that that we just pray. It becomes the heart language because it's the heart language of the people of God. And that's why over the last few years, we've been trying to emphasize prayer more and more as a a body of believers. And we've incorporated these prayer vigils and prayer events. And and not to be the only times we pray, but to be jump-starting times. That we have this intense time of praying. And then when we're done, we go on and, and continue to pray. And learn from that to be more and more people of prayer. And the more the language of prayer becomes our heart language I think we then begin to understand why Jesus connects watching and praying. In Luke 21, Jesus says to the disciples, be careful, be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen. That you may be able to stand before the Son of Man to watch and pray. about connecting these two because the more prayer becomes your heart language the more alert you become to the things that are going on around you to what's going on in people's lives to what's going, what, the, what the spirit is doing what the evil one is doing read through the gospels and just look for all the ways in which Jesus sees what's going on around him how he perceives what's going on around him I'm convinced it's because he has so developed this heart of prayer and, and relationship with the Father and connection with the Spirit that his eyes see things that the rest of us don't. You can only begin to see those things as the Spirit reveals them, but they'll, you'll only be ready for the Spirit to reveal them if we've developed a sensitivity through prayer to see it. We have this sense of alertness so that when the evil one is subtly trying to turn strength to weakness, we get it. When the evil one is trying to, to move us away from God's best to our good, we see it. And we become much more sensitive and aware of what God is doing. It becomes almost second nature to us. It takes work, and it takes time, and it takes effort and energy. But we do that because it's so important to us. When I was in high school, I, um, my first car was a 1966 Chevy Impala. And uh, it was a hand-me-down from my sister, and it was a hand-me-down from her to her from my uncle. I didn't even pay my sister for it, so you can tell what kind of shape it was in. You know, it got like, I don't know, three miles to the gallon, which wasn't so bad when you were paying 30 cents to a gallon, uh, 40 cents maybe. I remember when I went to the pump and it was 50 cents a gallon. I was like, are you kidding me? Um, oh, for those days, right? And, you know, and the, you never knew if it was going to start or not. Uh, one of the biggest problems was the transmission. It was, a, it was an automatic transmission. You just never knew if the automatic part of it was going to work or not. You know, you'd be in first gear, you're going about 20, you're trying to get up to 40 and it with that winding sound. And you're thinking, please shift, and uh, it would go. Sometimes. And eventually, it got to the point where I thought, okay, I need a new car. And I had a, I had a job, and saved some money. And my dad and I scoured the, the papers, and we found what we thought might be a good one. We went over, we looked at it. In fact, I have a picture of the test drive that I took of it here. <laughs> sort of, maybe, I don't know. Uh, and you know it was, it was a great car, this red Chevy Vega. And um, actually, I think the next picture is what it really looked like. But um, it was great, good price, everything was wonderful, except it was an it was a, a manual transmission. I would never driven a manual transmission before, and it freaked me out, you know. But and my dad and I talked through it, and he said, if you like everything else about the car except for the manual transmission, you can learn how to drive a manual transmission. He said, in fact, you, you'll do this enough. It'll just become second nature to you. Well, I believed him. Um, and I don't know, you know, I, I still have in my mind the scene when I go to high school in the morning, go to school. There was a, you, had, you came up to this stoplight with a turn arrow. And, and it was a boulevard with a barrier in the middle and our high school's on the other side of the road. And so you had, when the light turned, you got the, the uh, left turn arrow, you had to make a U-turn around to get to the parking lot. You know, and obviously I'm always running late for school, so I'm sitting there. School starts at eight. It's seven fifty-nine. You know, I'm in line, and there's about ten people behind me, all students, most of them my friends. And the light turns green, and I pop the clutch, and it dies. And they're all honking their horns and yelling at me. You know, everyone's late, and they start it started up and get going. Every morning, this scenario, you know, and, and as, the, as I could see the other yellow light, the other lights going the other way turned yellow, I could feel the panic rising in me as I had to figure out how to get the clutch. And morning after morning after morning, popped the clutch and it died. And I'm thinking to myself, sure, Dad, you knew what you were talking about, didn't you? No. And then I remember one morning, the light turned green and I took off and made the turn. And all of a sudden I realized, I didn't even think about that anymore. I I don't think anymore about, okay, how much gas, how much clutch. When I come up to a light, I didn't think anymore about, okay, now I downshift or now I go to third gear. You just did it. And he was right. It became second nature to me. And there's something about developing such a spirit of prayer as our heart language that it becomes second nature to us. See, this is not, prayer is not something that that we do only in an emergency. We can only be prepared for the emergency when prayer is the natural heart rhythm of our lives. And we see that in Christ, and ultimately we see it in the disciples, and it's the call that God has in our lives. And it is the only way to overcome the temptations and the burdens and and all the things that the evil one brings against us is to develop that second nature heart language of prayer. But here's the amazing thing about all of this. None of us are perfect. It doesn't matter how much we have developed this language of prayer, how second nature it becomes to us, none of us are perfect. And there are going to be times when the evil one is going to get us and we're going to fail. And in those moments he's going to come right back at us and he's going to say to us you are such a hypocrite. Oh you have this big talk but look at what you just did. Look at what you said to that person. How could Christians don't say those things. Christians don't do those things. You are pathetic. I you know God doesn't even want you anymore. This is ridiculous. Just just forget about it. I know that's what he says to Peter. I know that's what he says to Judas. Something in Peter. Something in Peter is able to see what Judas can't see. Something in Peter looks at the cross and in the midst of his agony and shame sees grace somehow he begins to understand that the cross is about grace and that because Christ is about grace and Christ even offers grace before Peter even denies him, you look at verse 32 and he says I prayed for you Simon that your faith may not fail and when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers there is in the, in those, between those two sentences there is a, a huge statement that's not written there but obvious I pray that your faith won't fail. It's going to fail. When you turn back, strengthen the guys with the grace that I give you. And God knows that we are not perfect. If we were perfect, we wouldn't need the cross. And God in his amazing grace can even take... Our failings and remind us again and anew of how much we need Him and how much we need the cross. And it can actually motivate us even more to be more committed to being people of prayer. The grace of God is always for us not just to learn how to pray and not just to, to overcome when temptation is so intense, but to also find forgiveness. When we aren't at the level we should be. When we fail. When we fall short. When we go our own way. Everything about Christ's life. Is connected to his relationship with the father. He develops in a spirit. And in the, and in the constant desire. And presence of prayer. It's what allows him to go to the cross so it allows him to be to live the perfect life that he lives to overcome the, the temptations of the evil one that come against him and if it is what if it is what gets him through if it's his this language of Christ's heart then it's got to be our language too I guess the question for us is is it And maybe even the deeper question is, do we want it to be? And are we willing to commit ourselves to do what we can in our power to see that it is? We're going to spend our time praying together as we typically do earlier in the service, but we're going to do this now. Praying together and and asking for God's grace upon us and his strength in our lives. As we do each week, the altar is open if you want to come and pray. And maybe you want to come and, and ask God to, to help you grow deeper and deeper in your life of prayer. Maybe you want to come about something that you're facing. Or maybe you want to pray, come and pray for someone else and something they're facing. Maybe it's just a circumstance in the world that is burdening you. But as we pray together, if you'd like to use the altar as your place of prayer, I invite you to come now and to join me. most gracious heavenly father you know our weakness you know how fragile we are and how susceptible we are to go our own way to think that something of this world is is going to bring deeper fulfillment than the things of your kingdom forgive us Forgive us that we have not taken prayer as seriously as Christ. Forgive us that we have not developed prayer as our heart language. Forgive us for all of the times when we have failed you. Father, this morning we thank you for the cross. That is hope when we feel hopeless. Grace when we feel nothing but despair. Life when we are wallowed in death. Father, we thank you for making the way of the cross to be the way of life. And we ask that you will stir up anew in every one of us a greater and deeper passion of relationship with you that can come Only through the facets of prayer. Father, we pray not only for ourselves, but for others also. We pray for everyone who is grieving and ask that you would comfort them. We pray for every person facing pain and illness and struggles of the body and mind and spirit and ask that you would heal them. We pray for relationships that are not where they ought to be and pray for restoration. We pray for wisdom and insight and clarity about the future. That we would go where you lead us. That we would trust you for your timing. That we would believe your goodness every moment. Father, we pray for this world. This week, we've been reminded of the evil one's desire to bring chaos and destruction and death to our world. We know, Father, that ultimately, the world will continue to struggle until that day when Christ comes. Father, in the meantime, we pray that you will bring peace and that you will bring your grace to bear on this world in new ways. And and we pray that your people will have a desire to be a part of the peaceful solutions of this world. And that you will work miraculously where it feels and seems as though there is no more hope. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for your grace upon us. Thank you for the cross. We pray all of this in the strong and powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The want who teaches us the model for prayer, which now we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done